The following recording is part of a six-week series entitled Rooted, a study through the Book of Colossians at Holy Cross Church. We have one more week in this study in the Rooted series, six-week series. Here we are, week five. I'm so excited every week to get into this and then sad that we get closer and closer to being over. But We've got great things coming up. We're going to do a Thanksgiving service in a couple weeks, and then after that, we're going to have our Advent, our Advent series. And Advent means the arrival, and really it's, it's the arrival of Jesus Christ into the world, the incarnation of God into the world, and we're going to celebrate this. And uh, if you've never been a part of an Advent series at a church where there's um, candle lighting and things like that, we invite you to be a part of that. Come back those weeks. If you want to be involved in those services anyway, whether it's reading scripture, lighting a candle, um, saying a prayer or anything like that, then make a note on your welcome card and we'll be sure to include you, your roommates, your family, whatever um, in that. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, here we are and we pick up in, in chapter 3 and finish up chapter 3 and start chapter 4. And I want to just have a disclosure out there right away. Like, I'm not, we, I'm not a marriage expert. Uh, my wife is here and so I, I can't claim to be that. I'm not a professional family counselor. Uh, this passage is so much for me as it is for you. Um, I don't do a good job all the time being a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor, um, and I need God's help. This passage is about family, it's about community, it's about God's desire and how we are to live with one another, and we all fall short in that in so many ways. And so I'm up here as a, as a, as a friend, as an equal, as someone who is struggling through this just as you are. And so I ask for your patience in that, and I ask Jesus for his, his wisdom so that we can really gain something out of this tonight. We read this passage, and already I recognize that I might be losing a couple of you. He read, Jeff read those, that passage, and it's all about mom, dad, kid, and you're thinking, I'm not married, I'm single, divorced, widowed, where do I fit in all this? And so already you're thinking, um, time, for the, time for the iPhone to come out, and I'm going to check the scores, I'm going to play around, some of you are doing that right now. No, I'm just reading in my Bible, I promise. You don't see yourself in this passage you don't know exactly how to enter into this text. And so I acknowledge that. But let me tell you this. If you find yourself saying, where do I enter into this family text? I want you to know that this has everything to do with you. And here's why. The physical family that Paul is talking about and that scripture talks about is a shadow of our spiritual family. It's a mirror. It's an example of our spiritual family. If you understand the picture of God that he, is paint, that he is painting when he is talking about the physical family, then you understand it reaches so much further than your home. And he's really talking about a spiritual family, a community with others, a fellowship with others that God designed, that he designs and desires for us. This passage is really, if it's about anything, it's about community, and it's about fellowship, and it's about how God desires things to be for our joy and for his glory. If you don't have a family, what we want to create here at Holy Cross Church is a family for you, a spiritual family, a a body of people coming together with like-minded hearts and minds. And so we invite you into that. It's so much about you. Another reason, too, I might be losing you is that you you look at this and you say, there's nothing new about this. I get it. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Kids, obey your parents. Yada, yada, yada. Do we really need to get together and talk about this? I mean, that's what the Bible says, and what else is there? Now, here's why you need to hear this. 
If, you, if there is in your life and in your home a, a superficial understanding of what God's design is for the family, then there's a good chance there's a superficial understanding of what God desires for you in community. And you're probably not experiencing honest, true, meaningful community at a real level with others. And so that's why we all need to... And, and, and then all of us, we fall short in this. Every single one of us, me included, we look at this text and we say, we're not doing as God desires us to do. And so all of us, this is, has something for us. Here's what I see in this passage that is so life-giving. I see examples of healthy characteristics of a community of people that love each other, that come together and, and are encouraged by one another, that all have a role within that community. And God uses here, through Paul, he's going to use this example of the physical family to show us that. I believe that Paul's giving us a picture that our Christian community is central to our Christian identity. Who we are in community with others is always going to reflect to the world who we are in Christ. Look at what happened last week we talked about in, in the beginning part of chapter 3. Paul's talking about a new identity. He's saying, because of your faith in Christ and what you believe and what he did, you're a new people and he's, des- he's, des- he's desiring to transform you from the inside out and everything about your life. And now he jumps right into this family structure. So what he's saying is the way that you relate to others is central to your identity in Christ. And so it's for everybody. It's for all of us tonight. So the Christian family, it's an analogy for the Christian community. We're made to, to be lovers of God and lovers of others. And he's going to get to that. And the truths of God are best understood as they're exercised and, and worked out with other people. Isn't that right? I mean, how many times have you felt like you've had a relationship with somebody and you've thought to yourself, boy, God has put this person in my life to teach me patience. I know what that's all about. God has put this person in my life to teach me humility and generosity and grace. We all have people like that. So the truth of what God wants to teach us is best understood as we see it play out in our relationships with other people. And we can't forget that. That's why this is important, to understand the family. Because we understand what God desires as we look at the family. And if we look at the family, we see how God desires us to live with others in community. So if you don't have a family, this is for you. How many times do we see people as instruments of God's work in our life? So much time. So many times. So this is who he addresses. He addresses the community, specifically the family. And here I see some characteristics, and we'll, I'll just kind of name them out. We'll work through them together as we see in this text. Some characteristics of a healthy gospel community. And hope we can be encouraged by it. The first one, this is the, the principle of mutuality. So mutuality is a healthy gospel community characteristic. We are to see ourselves not as isolated people, but a part of a whole, a part of a group, a part of a unified group as one body. And within this one body, there should be an attitude of consideration and love for one another. A physical family, think about it like this, a physical family is not just a life choice. It's not. It's not just a life choice. Like, I'm going to get married and have a family. Now, I'm sure there are choices, obviously, that lead to that. But it's not just like, whatever we do, you chose a family, you didn't chose a family. There's something about the family that God is using to show us a picture of himself. A physical family, the community, is meant to be a picture of the gospel in that it is mutually seeks out the interests of other people. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, 
Just listen to this. He says in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Selfishness is the anti-gospel. Love for others is the essence of the gospel. And that's exactly what Christ did for us. The essence of the gospel is that Christ, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son to, be, to die for our sins. The good news, the good news of the gospel is that we were in a position of guilt and God who loved us so much said, I'm going to take that from you and your sins will not be counted against you. Love for others is the essence of the gospel. So looking into ourselves and selfishness and wanting our things and always wanting our thing to, ourselves to win and our opinion to win and always looking at our own interests and not considering the interests of others is the anti-gospel. And so we look at this family structure where there's mutuality, where each person is looking to the interests of the other. There's no more elaborate place in the Bible that talks about love for another person than in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know what they call this chapter? You've probably heard it quoted, right, at weddings all the time. They call it the love chapter. I need some background music. No. They call it the love chapter. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, it's all about love. It's quoted at weddings and special events. It's in greeting cards and things like that. After Paul talks about this love chapter and what love is like. You know, he says love is patient, love is kind. He says love does not insist on its own way. Right after that, he says this. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. What is he talking about? What kind of childish ways is he talking about? Specifically, he's talking about, he's talking about selfishness and he's talking about love. And he's talking about, when I was a child, I don't think like this. I don't think about other people. The old self, even in adulthood, is inclined to think like that. Think about yourself and think about what's good for you and not think about others. Someday, Lord willing, my eight-week-old boy will realize that he is not the only person that exists. But right now, that's where he is. Right now, that's his world. It is very, very selfish. It's all about him. But to put away those selfish ways is to be, have a mutual understanding of looking out for the needs of others. He doesn't have that yet. Mama's got to get some sleep, Cohen. <laughs> Think of others for a change. There's mutual responsibility to consider the needs of others. If you don't have a, a physical family of your own, this passage is still so much for you, and here's why. If there is mutuality within the church, then your position, whether it's single, divorced, widowed, single parent, married, no kids, whatever it is, your position in the church is not minimized. But if anything, and I want you to hear me, it's, it's capitalized. Your position in the body of Christ has an emphasis on it. Because everyone that you are called to love and to have a mutual love for, they don't belong to you, in a way. It's almost even harder to love those who don't belong with you. 
If it's your family and you birthed this person maybe, or maybe you've, you've vowed to this person as a spouse, there's kind of a sense of obligation that of course I'm going, to, I'm going to look after you because we live with one another. But what if you don't have that kind of connection with people? God still calls you to be, have a mutual respect and love for those people. It's harder for you if you don't have a family. Your position in the body of Christ is so crucial, so critical. I just li- I like kids, just not other people's kids, right? That kind of attitude. But we, we need you so much. And the way that you get to understand the gospel by looking at the physical family, you get to see something so real. That we don't have a chance to really think outside the box because those who do have a family, well, of course I'm going to love my family. It's my family. They belong to me. But you get to see the real heart of that mutuality. A choice to willfully seek out the interests of others. Let's look at a second characteristic of a healthy community. And this is submission. Paul talks about this. Submission is the key, is a key to healthy biblical community. And what do I mean by this? One, we all submit to somebody. Every single one of us here submits to someone. Matthew tells a story of of an encounter that Jesus had with a centurion, with a Roman soldier. And I want to read that story in in Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. It says, when he had entered Capernaum, he's talking about Jesus, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. He said, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I'll come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Jesus is telling this. He looks at his disciples, those that are following him, and says there's no one who has a faith like this, who understands that submission is key to the gospel and key to a healthy community. And this can be a confusing concept, can it? When I say that word, some of, you, some of you are discouraged and angry already. When I say submission, some of you are confused and, and just maybe apathetic to it. Like, I've heard this a hundred times. I get it. Women submit. Wives submit. And I just, I don't want to hear it anymore. And I hope that I can say a little bit about this to clear it up. Submission, in the family or in a, in a biblical community, is not an act of weakness. Now I come home and I see that my dog pooped on the rug and I go up to my dog and I use a very stern voice and my dog rolls over and pees on herself. And what do we say? That dog is very submissive. No, we use the wrong word for what's going on there. My dog is a coward. Okay, My dog is a, is a three and a half pound animal that knows that I am king and is inferior to everything. Is on the bottom of the food chain. He eats, she eats the same you know, kibble every single day. She knows that I'm king. And if I wanted to have my way with her, I could just take her out of existence. She's a coward. That's not submissive behavior. To be submissive is not an act of cowardice. It is an act of courage. It's an act of faith. To willfully put yourself under the leadership of another person is an act of faith. 
Submission is the essence of the gospel. What do I mean by that? Christ, the incarnate God, submitted himself to the will of God the Father. Showing us an example of faith. Willfully submitting himself and his desires to God the Father. He shows an example of how we are to do that. All of us submit to somebody. The Bible talks about government. We submit and tells us to submit, to willfully place ourselves under the leadership of other people, to obey laws that aren't telling us to disobey God, to pay our taxes, to honor the emperor, to submit ourselves to the law of the land is biblical. It's the right thing to do. For wives, to willfully submit to your husband, you demonstrate what it means to be truly Christian. As Christ willfully placed himself in submission to the God, wives are to imitate Christ in submitting, willfully placing themselves under the leadership of their husbands. Husbands also submit, not to wives, but think about this. Husbands submit not to their wives, but to Christ. Husband's unique role in the family is not one of submission, but one of sacrifice. Paul says to wives to submit. In Ephesians it says, submit to your husband. And to husbands, love your wives and lay your life down for her, as Christ laid his life down for the church. Husbands are to lay down their lives to their wife. And in doing so, husbands are submitting to Christ. In community, how do we submit? How do we submit if you're not married, how do you practice the spiritual discipline, of, spiritual discipline of submission? Like the Roman centurion said, we all submit to someone. Submission is the courage to place yourself under the will of God and walking in the life that he has desired for you, that he's given to you at this time in your life, to trust him and to be courageous. Submission is, is courage. Saying, God, I trust I'm choosing to trust what you have for me and to have courage and to have faith in walking faithfully in what you've given me. Having God as a backup plan is not submission. And saying, God, I'll do some things and you do some things and we'll see which one works out best and then I'll be able to choose. But submission is courage and faith in saying, God, I place my life in your hands for you to lead me. Ephesians 5 says to submit to one another. I believe that we can't have truly meaningful friendship in community with other people unless there is some level of submission there. That we're trusting that person and saying, if we're going to be friends, I'm allowing you to hurt me. I'm allowing you to potentially ruin my life. Have Have you ever experienced that before? Whether it's been betrayal or hurt or a broken heart. And there's something inside of you that initially tells you, don't do that again. And then you find yourself isolated, and you find yourself never connecting at a, at a level that meets your, phys, your, your, your felt needs for relationship and belonging and friendship, because you've stopped submitting to that person in a way. Paul says that we should submit, that we should place ourselves under the care of other people to a healthy extent. I mean, look at, the Word of God is so far-reaching. I mean, look at all the areas where we can practice in our submission. Think about work. If you have a boss, you're placing some part of your life under the leadership of that person. Think about your home. 
Think about your play life. Think about your worship. Think about your free time. And there's so many ways that you can practice this discipline of submitting. It's a voluntary willingness to recognize and put yourself under the leadership of another person. How are children? Let's talk about kids for a little bit. We've got some kids in here. How are children to manifest this characteristic? Now, it's not fitting to use the word obedience when we're talking about the relationship between a husband and a wife, but it is very fitting to use the word obey when we're talking about children and their parents. I want to talk to the kids just for a second. I know we've only got a couple in here. You are an extremely valuable part of this body of Christ. You are extremely a valuable part of the family of God. I'm not waiting for you to become adults and grow up and start giving money until for you to be important in this community. You have opportunity to build up the church and to be an example of the love of God by submitting yourself to Christ's plan for you, and His plan for you is to be obedient to your parents. If, you're, if that still scares you, think about this. Jesus would say to you, I know exactly how you feel. Your parents, now we all, we all have parents somewhere. Parents aren't perfect. If you're a kid, your parents are not perfect. Sorry to spoil that for you, Mom and Dad. Jesus had parents, and His parents were not perfect. And they messed up and they made mistakes. But it's still said that Jesus, in submitting to God, was obedient to his parents. And that's important. Let's look at the third one. Ownership. You're part of this family and you have not only a place to belong, but a responsibility in the family of God and in the physical family to do what? To build up one another. There are no freeloaders in the family. There are no freeloaders in the body of Christ. There are no freeloaders in the community of God's church. Colossians 2, we read this last week, verse 16 said, 15 said, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It is a challenge of every person in the body and in the family to consider how we can build up one another. We almost recognize and carry our own personal burdens to support one another. This is the classic, I guess, help me help you philosophy. Now, I've worked in vocational ministry for about 12 years. I was a youth minister for 7 years. I've been a human being for 30 years. And I've had a lot of conversations with people. And here's what I hear. Husbands come to me and say, my wife doesn't respect me. And I'm thinking to them, that's because you're a jerk. And kids come to say to me, they say, my parents don't trust me. And I say, that's because you steal from them every weekend. And people at church come and say, I don't feel like I belong. Not this church, different church. (laughs) And I say to them, you don't pursue friendship and you're not a good friend to anyone. Look at this picture of the family that Paul paints for us. And we can come up with a motto for our community and for our church. And it is, I need you, and you need me. One of our core values 
is service. And this means that we depend on the willful sacrifice of each and every person to accomplish what we all desire. Christian community is truly a team effort. We are not here for you and any more than you are here for us. And so we see that as God calls us to be obedient, we recognize that our obedience is helping others fulfill and be faithful to what God has called them to do. If I am going to be a faithful disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, I need you in part to be also faithful and to consider how you can build me up so that I can consider how to build you up. And that's what's going on. As he talks to the family, he, every single time here, as he looks at the family, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands, knowing that your husbands are going to love you like Christ. Kids, be obedient to your parents, given the premise that your parents are not going to deal harshly with you. Slaves, be obedient to your masters. Masters, they're going to do this with the premise knowing that you are going to be fair with them and merciful with them. Husbands, treat your wife with kindness and care, knowing that God is going to be faithful to you. Every single one of us depends on the other person. God designed the family like that. He designs the community like that. I need you, and you need me. You are here for a reason. God called you to himself, and he called you to Holy Cross so that so much more than what you can imagine. This would be the perfect opportunity for me, and I'm getting kind of a light bulb right now, to pass around a sign-up sheet for areas of ministry that you can help out with. Because I feel like I'm talking about, don't be a freeloader. Here's an area where you can help out. There's, there's mutuality. There's submission. There's ownership. Own what we're doing here at the church. Let's go and let's everybody do it. You know what? I think I'm going to pass around the first fruits basket again. Let's take some ownership, right? You know, I'm not going to do that, and here's why. Because your ownership of what we are as a family isn't boiled down to just busy work, isn't boiled down to giving money. It is a picture of something so much more beautiful than you can even imagine and that I can imagine. What you desire in community with others, you have, and what God desires for you, you haven't really experienced just yet. There's so many good things going on here where I think that people here at this church, we spend time together because we really enjoy it. We're actually friends with one another. We enjoy one another. We feel challenged and encouraged by one another. But I believe that we're just scratching the surface of what God has, desire, what he desires for us as a community where we are truly seeking out the needs of other people, meeting those needs, considering how do we build up one another, knowing that if I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ, in part, I need you to be a faithful follower of Christ. We're all in this together. Imagine what true community can be like when each member of the community owns the desire to make it everything that it can be, instead of waiting for other people to make it work for them. You know, when are you going to do this so that I can participate in it and have a good time? When is this going to happen? When is this going to, you know, when are all these things going to happen? Instead of thinking, how can I own this? How can I be a part of this? That's a real family. And this leads us to our next point, which answers how are we to work at building up community? And that's the answer with sincerity. The next two characteristics Paul uses 
the position of servants and slaves to their master to talk about this. Their obedience ought to be sincere and conditioned by a healthy fear of God. So let's look at those two. One, the first one, sincerity. It's explained as a negative concept and a positive concept. Paul uses the concept of eye service, talking about negatively. You've probably all heard of lip service, you know, doing, saying something so that people like what you say. Lip service is doing something so that people look at what you do and they're really impressed by it. This is really the Dwight Schrute philosophy of the world. Dwight Schrute's quote on loyalty when he was asked, would you ever leave Dunder Mifflin? And he said, would I ever leave this company? Look, I'm all about loyalty. In fact, I, like, I feel like part of what I'm being paid for here is my loyalty. But if there were someone else that valued loyalty more highly, I'm going wherever they value loyalty the most. This is the eye service. This is the Dwight Schrute philosophy of life. What can I get? How can it benefit me? As long as I look good, then that's what really is important. And Paul is saying how we, how we live in the family and in the, in the community, in the gospel community, is, is one of sincerity. That we don't do it just because it looks good. Paul says that we're to work heartily, full of heart. Whatever we're doing, we constantly do it because we know we're working before God. Whatever you do, whether you, let's take for church, a church for example, if you're worshiping, if you're helping to serve, you're not doing it really for us. You're not doing it for other people. You're, you're doing it first and foremost before God. And so Paul says, do it in such a way that is, that is full of heart and with a sincere heart because your reward comes from God. What about at work? I don't have a family. I don't know how this applies to me. Of course this applies to you. You are at a job that you do not like. Does that matter to God? It does matter. You're to do so full of heart. You're to do it with fear of the Lord. You're to do it not in eye service, just putting in your time and then leaving, but the work that you do wherever you are doing it. You do it before the Lord. Work at home, mom. When is that man going to get home? <laughs> the work that you do at home, you don't do for your kids and your, and your husband or for your home primarily. You do it for God. You do it as one working before the Lord. It's a big difference. What if you're unemployed? Whatever you're spending your time doing, whether you're looking for a job, whether you are setting things up, whether you're going to school, you're to do so as a person who is working for the Lord. You're exhorted to put your heart into it. You don't have to be a pastor to work for the Lord. And I'll even say this, you can work for the Lord in spite of being a pastor. Our motivation is a healthy fear of the Lord. This is our, our last characteristic. A healthy community characteristic is godly fear. It talks about this in this passage, that as we work before the Lord, we do so with a fear of God. An unhealthy fear could do two things. It could paralyze us, right, where we do nothing and we say, I don't know what to do because I'm afraid of God. Or we create, we're, we are impulsive and we act in irrational ways and we just do whatever is right in front of us. Healthy fear is a confidence in God, knowing that God pays fairly. Fear of God is an ever-present awareness that we are people who rest our salvation completely in God's hands and knowing that God rewards us fairly. That he rewards us. That as we work for him in the home. That as we serve him in the home. That if we fulfill our roles faithfully as husband, as wife, as child, as worker. 
as we do those things for God, He rewards us faithfully. And knowing that our hands are in, our life is in God's hands. A healthy fear of God motivates us to hate evil, to repent and turn from our sins. It leads us to a satisfying life. It spares us from committing sins down the road. And fearing God can give us great comfort. I'll give you an example. You think, how can we be afraid of something and yet very comforted by it at the same time? Friday night, just a couple nights ago, U of A, on their, the U of A mall right in front of Old Main, you know what they did? They, they built a bonfire about 20 feet high. Flames just going up, enormous for a homecoming celebration. They just lit the field on fire, and it's just this enormous celebration. And it was kind of cold out, but imagine it was like 10 degrees out, and someone's standing by that fire, and they're thinking, well, if it feels comfortable now, imagine how comfortable it would be if I just kind of jumped in it. No, they wouldn't do that because they're afraid of what it could do. And yet they can stand at a distance and warm their hands by it and feel warmed and comforted and secure and their life is being sustained by it. That is what God is like. It is right for us to approach God with fear. God, you've, told me, you, you've shown me your character. You've shown me your nature. You've told me your commands and how I should live. And I don't want to take that lightly. And at the same time, I feel so comforted and cared for when I'm in your presence. That's a healthy fear of God. He's magnificent, he's beautiful, but he's very, very dangerous. We want to build community where these five characteristics are growing in increasing measure. We want to live as God's people, understanding that we each have a role and a burden to carry in the family of God, specifically in our physical families, but also in our family as a, as a unified people, as a unified family, as a church. It's complicated. It's messy. It means that we're going to spend time with people that we don't like. It means that we're going to put up with things that we don't care for. It means that we're going to think about how to encourage that person and build them up when we really don't want to. That's what we want to create. We want to engage in God's mission, owning the responsibility and asking questions like, how can the mundane things of my life participate in God's mission in building people up. And so we think about that. Okay, what does my day look like? What can I use in my day to build up people, to glorify God, to be, a, to be a healthy example and witness to others? And we want to magnify God's glory. Out of a healthy fear of the Lord, we're motivated not to withdraw from God, but to draw closer to Him and worship Him in everything that we do. You know, you and I, are we fail so much in this passage, all these areas that we need to carry this burden, we just mess up. And there's two things we can do. We can, say, we can withdraw from it and say, well, you know what, I'm just a screw-up and I'm just going to see where that gets me. Or we can magnify God's glory by drawing closer to Him, by pursuing into Him, by being on a head, head-on collision with God, by saying, I want to know who you are, Christ, and I want to pursue you, and I want to know your love, and I want to imitate you. So we invite you to that. Obviously, if you've been a part of what we're doing for a long time, I hope that you see that already. If you're new to what we're doing, you're invited to join us in that journey. That's what's important to us. We're messy, we're not perfect, but we know what God's called us to do, and we are encouraged and comforted, knowing that as we pursue these things, He will reward us. So you look at the family. This is about you, and it's about us. We need one another. Let's pray together. 
For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Holy Cross Tucson.